Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil Anderson. Welcome to Return to Real, the honest health and fitness podcast. Um, my guest today is somebody that I consider one of the vanguard of health and fitness here in this area. If you're in the Salt Lake area, you need to know Robbie Eastman. You probably do. And if you don't, um, your kids have heard of him. If they haven't heard of him, they probably heard from him. He goes to a lot of these schools. He goes around and he talks about, well, I guess addiction recovery. Talks about positivity. Talks about succeeding. And he's one of these guys that I admire a lot. I'm going to tell the story of when I met you, Rob. Sounds good. <laughs> I was sitting there teaching class. It was about 9.30 a.m., and we were working out. There was a ton of folk in the gym. And this, this scrawny, he's not scrawny anymore, but this scrawny <laughs> kid comes walking into the gym. And he's got a scared look in his eye, which you'd never believe these days. But he, was, he looked scared. He's looking around. He's unsure. And I swear, just as I kind of caught your eye, it looked to me like you were headed back out. It looked to me like you weren't, weren't there. You weren't going to stay. And I walk over, shake hands, say hello. And you tell me that you had just come from rehab. Yep. Just come from rehab. The, the way I understand it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you drove from rehab on the way home. You looked up, saw my place, and were like, I need to go in there. Yeah, I knew that I needed a, somewhere to go, and I had a hard time with some of the philosophies of recovery and some of the things, and I knew that the one thing that the only thing that I was ever good at was sports, and I needed some fitness for that, and I was a new father, and... uh she just started crawling and cigarettes and newborn babies add up to a winded dad. <laughs> so I needed to get, to get healthy. And, and that's when I found you. You weren't into it much before that. Mm -mm. It had been, uh, probably close to 20 years of drug addiction and, uh, felled tries getting sober and pretty good wasted soccer career. And, and uh, I knew I just needed to get back probably since high school that I'd been, well, I was intoxicated in high school too, but not as bad as after. So it was definitely a, a new journey. I saw a look in your eye and it's not a, a look that I've seen very often. It's a rare look. When I saw the determination in your eye that you were going to come in here and do this thing, you're going to come in the gym and you're going to get after it. 
I was impressed. So much so that uh, I was willing to kind of go out on a limb. A teeny bit for you. It wasn't much. But I can tell you this. I I was right about that. I was right about the look in your eye. And you were asking me, you, were, you said to me, like, what's, what do I got to do? How do I do this thing? And I could tell you didn't want to be there. In fact, there were a few days that you'd come in. And you had this, there's a guy right now that I'm thinking of that comes into my gym and he kind of looks left and he kind of looks right. And there are days that he just leaves. He doesn't come back in. But you never did that. And I thought you would. I didn't have a ton of faith in you, but I had I had a, a sick curiosity about you. There was something in your eye. There was just something about you that you were going to go and master this thing. And I had heard you were a junkie. Is that a good that, word to that say? Was, that, yeah, definitely. Definitely. <clears throat> I was yeah. like, there's no way a guy like this can come in and do this, do my stuff. My stuff's rough. There's no way you can do it. But there's something about the way you shook my hand. There's something about what you said. I don't know what it was, but I was like, I'm going to watch this guy. This is going to be cool. And, dude, you've changed your life. Yeah. I think I came in at a time that was uh, you played a pivotal point where I'd just been divorced, just lost everything, and my father just died. And I was kind of in that point like – there's not much left. I thought sobriety was going to bring me happiness. I thought everything was going to happen right, and it just didn't. And you were kind of my last, kind of the last try. Like, I've got to feel better. And uh, when you took me under your wing, it was uh, kind of in a father figure way for me that I wanted to impress you. I wanted your knowledge. I wanted because I spent my whole life disrespecting my father, not listening to what he said. And looking back it's like if i would have done what he said if i could have had a different relationship i might not have gone down that road so it was a i i've told you before man you you saved my life and i know you have a hard time accepting that but it you really did you were ready saved it so you were gonna do it there's i was positive that you were gonna do it i i wasn't sure you'd do it my way but i knew you were gonna change it i knew you were gonna do the the right thing and you've come a really long way it's that's been decade ago yeah, that was a long time ago, and now you're tied up in in a lot of really neat stuff. Like you're you're heavily involved in recovery. You're heavily involved in health and fitness. You teach kids to fight. My kid loves you. I have a 14 year old kid that like the sun rises <laughs> and sets with you. That boy, he loves you. He thinks the world of you, and anything that you do, it it, it makes me angry because I'll be like, hey, do this or do that, and he'll be like, meh. Like he doesn't hear it. And then he'll come home later and be like, hey, Rob told me to do this thing. I'm like, that's exactly <laughs> what I just said to do, dude. That is that is the exact reason why I switched to the youth. Because of all those times, like I said, that I, my dad told me something. I couldn't hear it. I come in, you tell me the same thing. I'm like, this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> that's weird. It's like there's a certain point where teens need another role model your parenting is done they've heard your voice for 10 to 12 years and they need a positive influence on the outside saying the same thing is that's going on on the inside right so that we can kind of guide it and really i just thought of all the things that i that i felt like i missed or that i needed or that would have kept me from going down that avenue and i wanted to give back to the community that way and that's really what got me uh started with youth 
go back. How did the how did it get started? What what was the what was the purpose? Why did you get into the the addiction stuff? Talk about the addiction. Educate me. Tell me. Tell well, me all those things stories. that happened. Like I said, my dad passed away, and my family wasn't as enabling as my dad was for me. So I got to the point where I had a concrete company. I was making thirty five grand a month. I lost that. So when I got out of rehab. I was on government-assisted living, food stamps, and I couldn't afford a therapist, so I went and I got a Pell Grant from the government. And I went back and I studied only psychology. And once I understood all of the things, like I was told I was bipolar, anxiety disorder, ADHD, PTSD, all of these things that I just took a pill for and just really numbed out with, that I was able to apply some science to it and some life skills. And I was like, I think... A lot of people need to hear the same thing that I'm understanding now that I never got before, and I don't think I'm alone. And uh, and then I got married, and my wife at the time had a son. And I was like, man, maybe I can vibe with this kid. And that's what got me into wrestling. I didn't know anything about it. You know, I cage fought a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I went up to Mueller Park and applied to volunteer, and they're like, you need to go get your fingerprints done. So cruise to the county. It's been like four, I was like four years sober and cruise to the county and got my fingerprints feeling great. And they're like, you'll hear back in two weeks. And the next day I got an email and they're like, yeah, no, thanks. It's a no for you. Yeah. Sorry. Can't work with. So my kids. I retracted into that fear and that mm-hmm. vulnerability and like, man, I'm what's going on. And in that moment I was like, you know what? I can't be that piece of paper anymore. So I printed off my background check, went in handed it to the guy that said no and shared my story. And uh, he was teary-eyed by the end of it, and he said, we need more coaches like you. Stamped it approved, and here I am six years later, head coach of two different wrestling teams. Successful wrestling teams. Your your team was uh, your junior hike team kicked butt last year. Yeah, undefeated. But really, I don't care about the sport. I care about the kids, and I care about teaching them how to do hard things in a safe environment, letting them know that life's going to be hard, and if they don't develop the skills now – pretty good chance they're going to end up rehab suicide something like that where we can avoid that what is your message to kids you go and and talk to a lot of schools i've been following you a little bit what's the message what do you say to them uh it's really about self-love not wearing masks not learning how to people please like it doesn't matter how many friends you have if you hate yourself if you go home at the end of the day and you know you're a fraud all the things that you're acting like you're not like that's exhausting and that hurts and that's scary. And if anybody finds out who you really are, then what? That's when suicide drugs start sounding pretty amazing. So if you can be that authentic, vulnerable, real person, you're going to attract the right people. And if you don't learn how to do that when you're younger, it's really hard as an adult. And then we get into a life that we don't love, a job that we hate, anxiety on Sunday because we don't want to go to work on Monday. It's no way to live. And for me, I didn't, I, I couldn't live that way anymore. And I call it, I, I was talking to my dad before he passed and he's like, you better figure out a way to live. Cause you're a terrible employee. Wow. And like, it's probably the most honest thing he ever said. It's like, <laughs> so I needed to get to the point where I was always the kid with the big Jeep that I couldn't afford. I always had the beautiful girlfriend that I'd lie to, to get her to stay with me. I always had all these things, the big house I couldn't afford. And I needed to tear all that away and I needed to get real with myself. And it kind of came up with the philosophy of being happy and homeless. And that came to the point where 
if everything was taken away from me today, would I still be okay with who I am? And that took a lot of years of getting real with myself. Didn't matter what you or anybody else thought about me. It mattered what I thought about me. And once I got to that point of actual appreciation and it had to do a lot with service, with giving back to my community and all I have to give is my story. And all of a sudden all these kids are coming around and they feel the same way. How are the youth responding to it? Say that again. How are the youth responding to it? Your, your message when you go into talk. It's to sad and amazing at the same time, right? So, so there's a lot of kids that want the help that are willing to get the help, but there's a lot of parents too that don't believe in what their kids are talking about. Oh, they're just young; they'll grow out of it. Those what types mean of they things. They don't believe that they're depressed. They don't believe yeah, that they they're don't having believe in trouble. depression. They just believe in you know, wake up, be happy, change your mindset, things like that. And for kids like me, when I was, it was like. I was suicidal from the age or from the third grade. Really? And that was a real thing for me. You know, I've had, I don't even want to say how many guns in my mouth and attempted suicide quite a few times. And, and I know I'm not alone. And when I share that story, we were talking about it earlier. I went and spoke in Fillmore. And since then, it's been about two weeks. I've had over 15 kids reach out saying, I'm suicidal. I don't know where to go. How can help me? It's like some random dude yeah, that spoke for an hour that they feel more comfortable speaking out to me than they do their teachers, their principals, their parents. That's scary. And I don't want to blame it on religion, but a lot of it is shaming the family or you don't want your kid to be the the weird one at school or all these different things. It's like we have got to peel back the layers and we've got to get real. How do they do it? What's step number one to get real? I got teenagers, and it's scary for me because um, teen suicide is on the rise. It's it's like it quadruples like every third year. Yeah. It's weird. It's out of control. So for me, when I talk to the parents, it's like we, I hear so much like I don't want to tell my kids what what I did because it'll make it okay for them to do it. I'm like that's not the way it works. They're gonna do it if they're gonna do it. Period. But if you sit them down and be like, you know what, I had sex before I was married. And it was a bad decision and it was this or that, or I drank or I did drugs or I did this or that. You're speaking from experience. I think every, I I send out a little questionnaire after I go and speak and everybody's like, I loved it because it was so real. I could identify with it. And all I'm doing is, is being honest. That's it. And with my daughter, she's 10. She knows everything that I've done. And people say, well, aren't you worried about taking her innocence? I'm like, she still plays with dolls. She still laughs. She still giggles. She's still a girl. She's educated now. She will never be able to look me in the face and say, Dad, I didn't know. And I didn't understand the ramifications of it. Yeah. Because we had talked about it. And how we grew up, I'm 42, how we grew up and how they're growing up now are two different things. They see crazy stuff on the internet, crazy stuff on Instagram. It's like, do you want that to educate them or do you want to educate them? And I believe that they'll look up to you if you look them in the face and say, you know what, I screwed up and I screwed up a lot. And this is why I tell you not to do this because this is what happened to me. But if you play the perfect Peter Perfect and say, well, I did this and my life was great and you're setting them up for failure. They are not prepared. They think everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows. And when they get hit in the face, they're wondering like, why did you lie to me? Mistrust. So... I don't know anything else other than sit down and say it how it is. Step one, be honest. Yeah. And if you're hurting, it's okay. 
but it's not okay to hurt and not do anything about it. That's when suicide happens. That's when addiction happens. Like tell somebody. And if your kid comes to you and tells them, bite your tongue, go and talk to somebody, think about it and get some educated people to help you out with that. Okay. Go back. If your kid comes to you and tells you what? Anything like, Oh, I had sex or I drank or I feel depressed or anxiety. Great. If you don't believe in it, doesn't make it real. Like get them some help. At least let them know that you, you understand that they're feeling bad and that you're willing to help. Like, don't shut them down. Don't keep it a secret inside the family. I have a saying that secrets keep you sick. And if you have no secrets, there's nothing to hide from. And it's okay, and that's where the vulnerability comes. But a lot of people are not educated in the sense of resources or, you know, kind of keeping up with the Joneses type of mentality. Like, my kid's a straight-A student. He's an honor roll, but he also cuts himself. You know, how about how about that? It's like whether it be porn addiction or food or, I mean, there's a million different addictions, but we've got to start identifying it. And I think a lot of people pull the wool over their eyes and don't look under their own roof and get real with it. Like you just get help, Say it. get help. If you don't know how to help, find somebody who does. Who, who do we go talk to? Who do we get help with? Here's, here's my thoughts in this is something I can identify with you on in a lot of levels. I've always thought that there were a lot of parallels between addiction and fitness. People's inability to become more fit, more healthy. I think a lot of the under, underlying problems are addictive types of behavior. Now, I'm not the addictive specialist. I don't know. But I can tell you this. It looks to me like on the face of it, from the beginning, it starts with that thing that we were just talking about, honesty. A lot of folks won't come in and be completely honest with where they're at right now. I had a guy in there the other day. We teach this uh, kids class, and it's inspiring to me. These uh, young men will come in. They lift. They lift heavy. They do things with their hands. And you can tell for some of them it's the very first time they've ever put their hands on anything and actually moved something heavy. And they see their own influence that's off of a screen, and they look at it, and and they're, they're dismayed. They can't believe it. I just I just moved that bar, and when I walked in, that 7-foot, 45-pound bar looked like a, a gargoyle. looked like a monster, but I just picked that thing up, and I slammed it, and I let him slam in my gym, you know? Yeah. Throw it down, stand over it in this dominating posture, and these kids are like, ah! And that's the first time ever. Now, I had this father standing there the other day, and, and this kid was doing that. It was his kind of first time. You could tell he had never touched a thing in his life but a screen. I hadn't, or buttons on some console. And he picked up this bar and he threw it down. And dad's like, well, that's what I was telling him all along. And I was like, listen, I'm not the judge. I don't get to be the judge, but I'm looking at you and I can tell you this. If you've ever done this in your life, you haven't done it in a long time. (laughs) It's not honest. Yeah. Be honest with your kid. Stand there and be vulnerable to your child. And let's let that fall where it may. Yeah. But it felt to me like, because the dad came and talked. I don't know. The dad came and talked to me. He's like, I really am struggling with my kid. And I'm like, you're struggling with you. Yeah. Anyway, I want to talk to you a little bit more about some of the parallels that, that I've seen. Um, addiction and I would call it an addiction to poor health. I would wonder specifically from a guy like you that knows everything. You really have been there. 
you've done this and you've overcome and you've helped thousands of people overcome. And I wonder if you'd share some with some of your secrets in helping folk overcome, like what's step number one? How do I start, get started, help? How do I be a force for myself and my family going forward? And those are the reasons why I brought you on the show. I want to pick your mind, Rob. I respect and, and honor you. And, and I want to talk about that. Plus, I want to go down the list and talk about certain things about the health, where the health and fitness world, I don't want to say get it wrong because it feels negative, but they're candy coating a lot of things that I'm not yeah. sure they ought to be. And I know they're just doing it for sales. So I'd, would would you go? I got I found a cool article and I'd be fun to maybe go down Absolutely. through that, that list and just talk to about it from a guy who's there elbow deep in it right now. I'd love to. Okay, cool. Thanks for coming on the show. Excited. Next segment, we're going to go over all of that. You're listening to Return to Real. This is Neil Anderson, the honest health and fitness guy. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil Anderson. Welcome back to Return to Real, the Honest Health and Fitness Program podcast. I'm sitting here with Rob Eastman, uh, a friend of mine and somebody I respect immensely. My job on this show is to put brilliant minds, brilliant products, brilliant services in front of you because I believe that health is a moving target. And for you to become, well, for all of us to become healthy and more fit, we have to have options. And one of the options that I want to throw in front of you today is an addiction specialist. I've always believed that, well, I mean, that's selling you so short, Rob, to say that you're an addiction specialist. <laughs> you're so much more than that. Life coaching, um, personal training, gym owner, you do it all and have. It's one of the things I admire about you, and it's one of the reasons why I like that you're on the show. Um, one of the things that I want to do is talk to you about how we do it. Health and fitness is a moving target. It's tough. And once you get it figured out, you're going to have to readjust next week, next yeah. month, next year. Whatever you're doing right now that's making you successful or helping you be successful, you're going to have to make adjustments to that. Yeah. The health and fitness world is weird like that. I think it's just like on the other side for, for addiction, you take two pills and eventually those two pills don't work anymore. And people, if you don't adjust your workout then nothing's going to change. I have a saying, train insane or remain the same. It's like you you have to constantly be evolving. But that for me, that's that starts in the mental. Like you can get fit anywhere. You can go run a million miles, but if you're in your head the whole time, 
if you hate the way you look, if you think it's a there's a destination of which once you get there that everything's going to be better, you're screwed. Right. I had a client. She lost 150 pounds, maybe closer to 200 pounds. She was amazing, cute little thing, and I was so proud of her. She put on a fight for two years, and she she wrangled her, her diet down to what it ought to be, and she changes it quite often. She works out really hard. She went and got surgeries because she needed them. The, her arms were hanging, and her, her belly was hanging. She had some real issues, and I was surprised because she came years later, and she looked at me in the eyes, and she said, it isn't what I thought it would be. I had this thought when I started at 200 pounds up from where I am now. I had this thought of what this health and fitness would mean. And now I'm here, and and she's beautiful. And I'm disappointed, and I'm depressed, and I'm more depressed than ever. What causes that? I think it's that, that destination where you think that if I have this nice car, if I have a beautiful girlfriend, if I have a bigger house – like somehow your life is going to be better and it's not that's i've i've got a saying on my wall it says there's a different devil at every level it doesn't matter where you get if you don't love yourself again it comes back to that if you don't appreciate yourself if you don't appreciate the journey you're screwed it does not matter maybe that's why we get there in the first place maybe maybe we become unhealthy yeah. in in the first place because we we have a little bit of self-love issue yeah i think it comes down to trauma whether it be as a child, bullying, parental trauma, mom or dad not in your life, bad relationship, bad marriage, abuse, whatever, and you don't deal with that, it doesn't matter how nice your body looks because you see a different person in the mirror. I had a, had a psychologist one time that was on the show, and he was talking to me about that exact same thing, the trauma that you don't deal with, you wear. Yeah. And I thought that was an interesting way to put it out there. Yeah. And you see that in America, especially on overweight and. Yeah, we're losing this battle, aren't we? Yeah. I was so depressed the other day because here we are. We're 30 years, maybe 40 years into this fitness rev- revolution. 40 years ago, nobody needed it. And somewhere over the last 40 years, we decided we did. And I remember the statistic that they preached to us over the pulpit of academia. They were like 30 percent of Americans are clinically obese, and that didn't mean anything other than clinically obese or or morbidly obese types of folks are now in trouble with their health. They're they're more likely to die younger because of their condition right now. And I was like, 30%? No way. Well, then they went, 60% are not clinically obese, they're not, not morbidly obese, but they're so overweight that their weight now will affect their health. And that was 60%. I'm like, I can't believe that. And then I, I read this other thing, USA Today, just this been three weeks ago. They're, it's creeping up to 80. We're losing this battle. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> speaking for myself, being a gym owner, I should have it all figured out. There's a lot of days I don't want to go in there. I don't want to do a push-up. I don't want to do it. And it's directly attached to my mental health. What's going on outside? Am I dealing with it? doesn't matter how many burpees I do or how fast I run a mile. If I'm unhappy with my job or my life or I did something I wasn't supposed to, it's it weighs you down. And it's way easier to take a pill to feel better than it is to go run that mile. And America's gotten lazy. I'm lazy on the other end of that. I can tell you this on the other end of this. I will go run that mile because that is my pill 
but I won't get healthier because of it. Not anymore. For the first 15, 20 years of exercise, that pill was all I needed, and it did clear my mind. Now I'm using yeah. the run as a pill, and I'm not actually facing the issue. Yeah. I will go do my 100 burpees, and I'll somehow feel justified in the face of those 100 burpees that now I've solved some issue, and all I really did at the end of that is I avoided it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of that Band-Aid. The, the big push right now is marijuana, right? Yeah. And that it's a miracle drug. And I don't care what it is, whether it's pain, emotional pain, anxiety, when the weed wears off, what's still there? Yeah. So you can't outrun a bad attitude. So you can go run that mile, but unless you deal with it, that problem is still going to be waiting for you after the mile. Whether you get to feel good for 20 minutes, an hour, maybe a day, it's always going to come back. So that's where I kind of try and pride myself in being a, a street soldier in wearing my problem. Like, I'll expose it. I, I, I like to say monsters live in the dark, so bring them into the light. Hmm. So I try to be that vulnerable guy and talk just about everything publicly and uh, in hopes that other people will be vulnerable. That's a skill, though. Not everybody can do that, can they, or should they? It my public could be your wife, yeah. You know, whether it be talking to a friend, like start tell somebody, say it out loud. A lot of the times, for me, like when I was younger, and you pray, and you do it quietly, and I'd be thinking about a dog barking. I'd be halfway through, like, <laughs> yeah. like sorry, God, I'm, I'm back now. Where were we? Yeah. Like, so sorry. I pray out loud with my eyes open. So that it's like, it makes it real. If I ask for help, I say specifically what I need help for. So whether you believe in God or energy or Buddha, or I don't care what it is, that I released it to the universe. You and now it. I have to be brave enough to wait for the answer. And sometimes that's putting in work. So tell somebody, say it out loud, on, say, say it, it out, out loud. loud, write it on a piece of paper and say it out loud. Really? Yeah. Then what? What's step number two? Be open and willing for the answer. Like you may not like you may not like the answer. Be willing to listen to that. Be Give willing me an example of that. What's, what's an example of an answer I might not like? Well, you come to me and you tell me what a bad day it was, and I say, "What was your part in it?" Yeah, what's your personal payoff? Have you ever done that to a client? <laughs> They're like I, I really, really, really can't stop eating ice cream. I want it so, I do, but I really, really, really want to be yeah. fit and healthy. <laughs> And I'm like, well, yeah, you don't really want it. Yeah. What, what do you want? What thing do you want the most? And then also, well, I, but I want to be fit and healthy. I do. And they'll cry. They will. They'll cry. Yeah. And I'll feel for them. I will. I feel their heart. But I'm like, you wanted, what's your personal payoff in the failure? Do you get that there is one? Yeah. Do you understand that that's paying off harder and better right now? The failure is paying off better than the success. What's your personal payoff? Can And I, I believe... That once you, you put it out there, once you decide, this is what I'm going to do, and I love that you said to put it out, I would put it on social media. It takes practice to be that honest, Rob. Yeah. And you're good at it, but it takes a lot of practice. Yeah. we I talk about you've got to flex that muscle, like doing the right thing muscle, because you've practiced doing the wrong thing muscle for so long. Yeah. You've got to break that habit. And doing the right thing, a lot of the times, is the loneliest thing and not the most popular. I would. I would definitely and say that can be that's the biggest issue <laughs> an awkward and lonely place. So find, find your personal payoff. That might be step number two. If yeah. I were going to put it out there, a lot of people haven't sat down and figured out what they're gaining from this quote unquote poor experience yeah. of bad health. Yeah. Temporary 
temporary uh, comfort. Yep. The quick, the quick fix, and that's that's why addicts stay addicts for so long. It's like, do you want to be dope sick for two weeks, feel like you're going to die, or you know you can take one pill and you won't feel that bad? It's like, do you do you really feel that good once you get that addicted? Do you really feel that good with the pill? You no, I just felt normal. Like I had to do it to feel normal, whatever that meant. No, it's absolute misery. Absolute. Like I tell anybody, I don't care. Find me a millionaire. Find me anybody who drinks or whatever. And in the moment, if we could tell them you can have this life, how you know what does it cause in your life? I promise you, I could have a conversation with anybody, and they'd be like, "Yeah, I wish I didn't do this. It's caused some problems." And that's the point it where it needs to be changed. Yeah. Once it causes problems, it, and I think you can strip it down and be like, "Well, what's the problem that it's causing? Well, it's not that bad." I'm not that bad. You're like, well, something's in there. Yeah. Are, are you the dad you want to be? Are you as active as you want to be? Are you as interested in life as you want to be? What's the problem? Yeah. So mark those down too. Yeah. Get honest. Find your personal payoff. Yeah. I like a pros and cons list. Do you? For everything. Like your goal. If it's, this is what I want. Okay. If you get that, what, what could happen? What's going to take to get there? And what's the benefit? It's like, and it kind of dumbs it down yeah that's what they do for us in rehab is like okay yeah you can do it that way but <laughs> <laughs> write it down come see me in 10 minutes this is gonna we'll work discuss this you know so it, I, I really think you're your best scientist man like we can sit in here and we can pretend to be gurus and all this stuff but you know you better than anybody and if you can't do it alone be brave enough to go find somebody that you respect and ask for help and then be brave enough to say, that's not going to work for me. Yeah. I think I, those are the people that I respect the most when I'm helping somebody. Somebody that'll look me in the eye and go, mm, I don't know. Look, I don't like this. Make it better. Yeah. Can you help me make it better? And 90% of the time I'll say, no, you make it better. Like, do the homework. I'll, I'll get you in the hunt, but do the homework and find the yeah. thing that you do like. And that's like you were saying, the kid that slams the bar down, that realizes that he is strong, that he is capable of doing this. You don't get to take that away from them. That's true confidence. Yeah. That's what changes people. Yeah. Not, not a chit chat. Like them putting hands on bar, lifting that thing that they never in a million years thought they had. I love when people are like, oh, yeah, working out is just not my thing. Like, it's not a thing. It's like putting gas in your car. Do you want to have a nice car that just sits in your driveway or do you want to drive it? Right. Like you're going to have this body for a while. Kids always say, I can't wrestle because I have football conditioning. Okay. I wrestle and I work out and I'm 42 years old. Like, what are you talking about? It's not a sport. It's just a part of life. Like you got to change that. And that's, and and the confidence comes from these things. And, and that's why I think fitness is a, with the right coaches, there's a lot of, a lot of botched jobs out there come in and do your thing. And they're like, I love going to Vasa and watching. They like post. I did five new machines today. Well, did they have anything to do with each other, or did you just randomly cruise around like spinning their wheels? Like, be brave enough to ask for help. It does matter. Research. It does matter. There's there's a point where people go, and I'm so glad to hear you say this because it's not super popular. But there's a point where people th- I call it Cheeto Fitness. Cheeto Fitness is the guy that gets up off the couch walks to the kitchen for a bag of cheetos and comes back and sits down is more fit technically than the guy that sat there and had his taught his dog to do it it's <laughs> cheeto fitness and and then the, there are people in the world that they're like that counts that counts anything counts if you just move your body it counts and 
I have to tell you, I just don't believe in that. It doesn't yeah. count. It, it actually can work against you if you don't do it right. There's, there are steps to this process that you've got to learn. Understand yeah. that there are strength moves you have to do. There are, there are cardio moves you have to do. It isn't just about moving your body. Ladies up on the Bountiful Boulevard, please listen up. And if your mom is up there doing it, please send her this one podcast, only this one. <laughs> Understand, it's not enough. The human That's, body was made to walk. It's great at it. It's, it's one of the most efficient gates in the animal kingdom. It's not much exercise. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the step counter has failed people, too. <laughs> yeah. I did 10,000 steps today. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations, well, you, you still got a workout to do. <laughs> yeah. you know, and and like, 50,000 isn't much better than the 10,000. Yeah. It's such a weird thought. Thank you for saying yeah. that. So the, your thought on that, if I'm summarizing, is um, you, you get honest, you own it, There's the, and then you got to move, but you have to move in deliberate ways. And there is no, there is no end point. You constantly should be in growth. And you should constantly be failing at whatever, hopefully, whatever you love, getting better, working harder, and it's going to, like, when I originally started, I was going to train professional athletes. You know, that was the thing. But athletes don't have any money, and I don't (laughs) know any professional athletes, so I end up training 64-year-old ladies. It's like... It's rewarding. Yeah. It's awesome. Right? You find, like, I had this idea in my head of what was going to happen, and it has been nothing like that. And now I thrive on, like, what's, what's going to happen next? I'm Can prepared. we say that that's something we should be doing in the gym, too? We should be constantly striving to fail. Yeah. And I don't mean by, let's, let's not get crazy and pick up heavy weights. That's not what I'm saying. No. I'm saying it, if, if your routine, and by the way, I know some of your routines. I watch you in the gyms. I, I see what you're doing. I've got it figured out. And if I've got it figured out, you're too many workouts into the same thing. Yeah. If you're winning the workout at your gym... You are not failing. You need to be last man standing. That's one thing I loved about you is you told me, I got done. I was like, oh, I killed it. He's like, you're like, did you kill it or is that lady over there that still has three rounds killing it? You should be working. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I should. Did I I get more fit because I finished first or is the lady struggling in the back corner who's there 10 minutes after everybody working harder than everybody in the room? Yeah, she's the champ. So... If you can do 10 in the time people do five, that's what you should be doing. Okay, step one. What do I need to do to start moving today? Let's just spell it out. Like, what's step one? Step one is is admitting you have some things you need to work on and identifying exactly what that is. Two would be walking into any gym and sharing that list with whoever's going to be your coach. And I highly suggest going to a coached gym because Vasa, you're going to, I feel awkward in there. I feel like, man, I'm, I don't fit in here. Like I own my own gym. I can do more than probably most of the people in there. And I feel awkward. Yeah. It's weird. It's like a library but too. But we don't want to rip on Vasa. Maybe, I don't you know, mean that's it like not that. what we're doing here. No. We're just saying but your it, typical standard place yeah. that you go Get to work Get somebody out. who can help, a training partner. How about that? Yeah. You can go anywhere. <clears throat> and uh, achievable steps to get started. Okay, physically, number step number one, I've never worked out a day in my life. What do I do tomorrow? What's your opinion? I think you go, I like to work people out for five minutes in strength and then give them a little bit of cardio. Which I always moves? want them leaving <clears throat> thinking they can do more. So the next day they're like, thank you so much <laughs> for not making me do more. Yeah. Because you don't want to get wrecked. 
effective exercise. Any idiot can beat the hell out of themselves. Yeah. It takes takes it's a lifestyle change. Yes. Period. Perfect. So, what movements are you going to have me do in my first five minutes? I like uh, doing the basics. So, a few burpees, a few sit ups, a few push ups, and a few squats. Making sure, getting the joints, letting it know that we're going to start working, whether you're crawling out of the burpees or whatever. How many is a few? Because people are going to listen to this and be like, eight, how many? I, well, depending on the person, but I have them do eight of each and between two and four rounds. And then I will have them either fake jump rope because you waste a lot of time catching your Trying toes to on the to rope. Do the jump. Yeah. Or I'll put them on a rower. And I want them to be able to do conversation pace where they can talk and they're just kind of feeling good and they get that little buzz like, ah, I did great today. And they're leaving out like, man, I could probably could have done more. And you got to leave them wanting more. You got to leave you wanting more. Yeah. Like Don't it's not beat fun. the tar out of yourself. It isn't going to help you. You're not going to come back tomorrow. And the idea that you can get fit in a little bit, like a true transformation, I believe, is 12 months. It's a life change. It's got to happen through your workouts. It's got to happen outside of the gym. It's got to happen in nutrition. And if you do it all at once, you're going to have a major relapse. There's a few people in the planet that could do it. But in general, you start working out, you eat clean, you end up hungry, you have a bad day, and you go knock out five burritos rather than one. Yeah. And I'm, I did that. Start slow, go easy. <laughs> I've done that too. I still do that. I, and you know, I do it a lot. I relapse myself. So, so I yeah, totally understand. Lifestyle change. About. Give yourself time. It's not going to happen overnight. Took you at how many years to get this way? Yeah. It's going to take a minute to get out. So that's one day. Patient. That's day one. Do a little cardio the next day, or do you want to come back in and do that? Repeat, I like to break workout. it back up, as in the you know hair of the dog, what they do, mm-hmm. and if they're having a hangover, re-drink. So whatever sore, I, just, I, I run them through that same little bit for the first week. Yeah. Just getting it, breaking it up, and cardio. And then we revisit and be like, what was great? What sucked? Like, get real with yourself. Yeah. And, I uh, hate the advice, Rob, that people should do the things they enjoy. Find an exercise that you enjoy and do that over and over again. I'm like, yeah. no, because then you're going to play to your strengths. And exercising and health is not about playing to your strength, just like you were saying, yeah. all day today. Yeah. Don't play to your strengths. So. I don't post my workouts because people always mm-hmm. seem to be sick or had something to do on burpee days. Right. <laughs> so they just show up. Right. So, so show where up. can I check you out? Like, uh, I hate to end this conversation with you, but where, where can I check you out? If Instagram, I needed some coaching, yeah, if I would like you to come speak Instagram to my Instagram is Coach Eastman 8. I'm Rob Eastman on Facebook. There's Eastman Fitness and Wellness on Facebook. And then my website is www.eastmanfitnessutah.com. Um, yeah, we didn't even get into your cool, like your, your recovery, <laughs> like charities and such that you're into yeah. next time. Yeah, will you come back and talk to us? With, absolutely. I'd like to go over this article because we were going to get into this thing and do some real ripping on it. But I think yeah. we've, I think we've done some good work here, brother. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate I love you. you. I appreciate you. I love you, brother. And, uh, thank you for coming on and I hope yeah. you come back soon. Thank I'm you. Neil Anderson. This is return to real, the honest health and fitness podcast. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.